0: again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of this podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. Who, pray, are you?
1: Oh, you mean I should introduce myself?
0: (laughs) Yes, that was the intention.
1: Hello, I'm Dr. J. I use they as a pronoun. I got to give myself the job title, "Harbinger of Change, because I work at ThoughtWorks, a software consultancy where I get to do such things. I also got to give myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender, queer because I was lucky enough to be born in New Zealand and they allowed me to write a statutory declaration to that effect. I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because I did some branding. Josephine, would you care to introduce yourself to our lovely listener?
0: Uh, I will. My name is Josephine Baird. I use she, her as pronouns. I am an academic and artist who used to make a spectacle of herself by strutting about upon the stage and more often make a spectacle of myself by drawing lovely queer people and posting those pictures on the internet. I also am a lecturer at the University of Uppsala Game Design Department. I also like to think of myself as a femme of international mystery because it sounds so amazing (laughs) and no other reason.
1: But that's almost like branding for you, really, isn't it?
0: And I'm hoping it'll become my brand, not because of any <laughs> intrinsic qualities thereof, or even meaning per se, to the phrase, just that it becomes my brand because it sounds so cool. Also in terms of like drawing calligraphy, because I do like to do lettering, writing it is quite pleasant, you know, femme of international history the wide. Very <laughs> pretty. So there you go. It appeals to my aesthetic qualities on many levels. And like all good branding has absolutely no meaning before its inception. Right? (laughs) There it is. So this week, Jay, we've got a bit of an interesting topic, brackets, S, which is the uh, academic way of writing something when you want to say two things together and make it seem as though you have some wonderful insight in those two things going together
1: or not. We're just meshing two things together because we don't think one's going to be quite long enough.
0: Okay, now you've just destroyed the magic. <laughs> i was can just there was some intrinsic intersectional quality of the two topics and you on the other hand have just laid us bare so to speak
1: i'm sorry to lay us bare but i thought it was a good idea to kind of talk about the fact that we are both working full time and quite full on jobs at the moment quite full on roles and We are also attempting to do a podcast while we are doing that and attempting to protect our mental health and our physical health and our energy, which means that we kind of have to look at everything and go, let's do something about once every two weeks. And I know that's a very short way of kind of talking about some really complicated and hard stuff for us both.
0: You may have noticed dear listener that our schedule has been a little odd on occasion, especially recently. We started producing this podcast when Jay and I were, and the whole world, uh, my dad, not to take it too personally, that we were all a bit in flux, as you might recall last year, dear listener. And it meant that on the one hand, we had more flexibility with our free
1: time, we had less restrictions on the time that we could spend, we could catch up three or four times a week and record three or four times a week if we wanted to. We also didn't have other pulls on our energy. I was on furlough. You weren't working full time at that time. So neither of us had the added thing of balancing out full time work on top of this. Since then I've come off furlough. I've started a full on project and I've been working pretty much full time since September and trying to do this around a 40 plus hour week job. Josephine then started to work as well. And then with the added things of we're still in lockdowns of various sorts or not back in the offices, there's still COVID running around, getting vaccinated, mental health, full stop, because fuck me, This 2020, 21, and possibly 2022 is going to be some hard fucking times, people. When you've survived something for 12 months and you think, oh, I've done it for a year, the end must be nigh. And then suddenly you realize it's 18 months later and the end is not in sight. It's fucking exhausting. It's literally like going for a long jog or a long hike or a walkie thing and You think you've reached a point where you're like, yes, I can possibly see the finish line. And then you realize that what you thought was the finish line was just the next checkpoint. And the finish line is fucking still unknown and miles away. Your ability to cope has become so depleted. Your ability to be flexible, your ability to take on extra work, to take on extra things. Everything seems to knock the stuffing out of me at the moment. I'll do something and I'm fine. But I need to sleep for like 16 hours or there'll be a day where I'm just like, I'm doing the bare minimum today. I will get my way through all of the meetings that I'm in. No one will notice that I'm doing the bare minimum and I will then get some takeaways and go back to bed because even cooking something is way too much. And that's what my life has been like. And I know Josephine from talking to her has had similar challenges, but has also got childcare, a partner. That she wishes to spend time with and a cat. Whereas, you know, I'm just here with houseplants.
0: Everything's relative. No, Jay's right. I've had similar issues. And along with that is this sense that Jay and I have built something really lovely with this podcast and this sense of responsibility to the listeners, especially since some of you are kind enough to give us money every month for this. And so I feel this desire to produce something lovely which we're going to keep doing and also a responsibility to keep making something that is of a similar quality that we were doing a year ago perhaps even better quality i would hope that we've improved somewhat in terms of like at least for me because i edit the sound you hear so the lovely thing of doing this for as long as i have now is that i feel like i've gotten pretty good at doing it quickly but it still takes time and it still takes effort and it still takes Uh, more effort to make sure that it's of a decent quality and something that you enjoy listening to. I'm still very much enjoying that aspect, but I also feel bad that taking care of myself limits the things that I want to do. Now, that may sound really, really obvious, but I think it's one of the things that we as people, human beings, generally forget way too easily and especially right now when things are so in flux when boundaries between work life and private life between on and off time between what is and is not a responsibility to yourself or to others is in such flux from such difficult to predict circumstances so that just adds more to it one of the things that i'm doing for my job is be part of a working group whose goal is explicitly to make working practices in academia better. And the project is called um, Soulful and Sustainable Academia, and its nickname is Sassy. (laughs) And in that little group, we're trying to do the work that we're doing, which is to make projects, to make and research. It's also a constant discussion as to what stressors happen to be on us as individuals working in any field. But especially in the kinds of fields that Jay and I work in, where we are encouraged to be creative, to work in unusual ways, to solve problems that are often complicated, interesting, but also socially can be challenging and difficult, right? so. How do you maintain a soulful and sustainable approach to that? And I'm trying to apply the same logic to the podcast because I started to realize that I was feeling guilty about needing more time to be able to manage everything in my life, which is in such flux in some ways, but it was also very exciting. And at the same time, trying to remember that it's okay and important to do that. Because otherwise, A, the podcast won't continue. B, the podcast would probably suffer in terms of quality and content anyway. And C, I don't think any of the people who were good enough to listen to us for this long, <laughs> to suffer through all of our opinions this long, would think of us as like, I don't know, in any other way, when making such a decision as to take care of oneself. I come very much from a culture Growing up in England, of like, if you're not working tremendously hard, then what really are you doing? And you're being lazy and shirking responsibility, what, what, and possibly being roused about, lay about, or whatever combination of silly words and British accent. And I suffer with that internal voice a lot. And one of the things that I find really important is to try to reflect on that. And I'm very glad to have Jay as my. <laughs> co-creator because they're really good at reflecting back about that need for self-care and so (laughs) weirdly enough it is a complicated topic because it's really hard to know when to do this kind of thing but it's also really quite simple in some regards because it's about reflecting on what is sustainable valuing yourself as a person who's equally valuable and in need and deserving of care.
1: It's also one of the tenets of the Agile Manifesto that a lot of our work is based on it by job, which is about the pace of the team should be something that is sustainable and definitely So whatever pace you set out to do, it needs to be something that you can indefinitely sustain. There is no need to work 80 hours to get stuff done. None of that. It's very much about creating that balance. And a lot of the stuff that we're doing with the teams and I'm talking about with people at the moment is around work-life balance, is around making time for the important stuff, making time to have the right discussions, making time to process stuff and to think. But it's kind of one of those things that's reflective of, the time that this is recorded in is such a stressful time. And yes, the stress has fluctuated over the last 18 months, but background noise hasn't really gone down. There's still something out there that if you catch, some people are still getting very ill and dying you can still transmit it to other people without being aware. You're still having to be cautious about your contacts with the outside world. Everyone's still wearing masks when people are out, which is kind of disturbing because you can't read people's faces as easy. There's all of the stuff that's still a difference, that's still a pressure on us, as well as because of that thing, we are working in slightly unnatural ways. We are only seeing each other online. There's all of these stresses and our brains need a little bit more time to process things. And we've been running ourselves down for 18 months. We all have, not just me and Josephine. I think pretty much everybody has been running themselves down. This is why the UK has gone mad on unlock and let's run around the streets and do crazy stuff. And I'm like, please, why? But I totally understand the need for it because we all want to make those social connections again. We all want to see people face to face. It's just, you really can't still, we need to take it a bit slower. We need to take time and we're all just exhausted. All of those reserves, like I said, at a year, everyone was like, oh, surely there's a finish line. Oh, look, it's about there. And then you get to there and you realize it's just another fucking checkpoint and it's not the finish line. And you get a real sense of how exhausted you are. With this. And I think that's been one of the things that's caught up with us both, in that every little small thing just seems to catch me out. Our reserves are depleted. And I think that's impacting everybody. And that's also part of why we're protecting ourselves, why we're kind of going, okay, we need to take some of the pressure off because both of us, I think it's not just Josephine who wants to make a really good podcast, to do it on a regular basis, to really be engaging and keep up the quality of the conversations we're having. It's both of us and both of us trying to do this.
0: It's funny how personal these feelings are, right? I do this. like I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can get all of this done in the same weekly period I've been doing. It must be my fault. Yes. Right? And yes. Then what Jay has just described is the perfectly reasonable response to a very stressful circumstance for a lot of people, which would lead one to conclude, well, perhaps we need to be a little bit variable with the schedule. Maybe we will go back to once a week at some point. Right now, we're doing it a little bit variably. We're trying to be really flexible, but we're thinking like a two-week turnaround is probably about right for now. That's the product of the circumstance which is very reasonable. And yet I take it personally. Without having that moment of reflection, which is why actually, weirdly enough, we thought it'd be a good way to have that dialogue was to record it, because this is the very same conversation Jay and I have had a couple of times in the last few weeks, and I still will take it personally. Now I will have something recorded that I can listen to through my podcasting app anytime I need to be reminded. It's not personal, and it's that thing. Like, yes, I have
1: a lot going on. There's just a lot going on. There's a lot going on for yeah. everybody. I'm sure anyone who's listening can kind of sit there and go, yeah, it's been a lot. That's that sustainability thing that we kind of are both needing of just being aware of how much is pulling on us. And it's personal, but it's not. So yes, it's personal in our reactions to it. It's personal in the way that react, but also the systemic stuff that pulls on some of us much harder than it does on others. The systemic stuff that's making going back into the world feel much more stressful. Me in a mask versus me without a mask, there's a whole difference to how people read me because people can't see my smile so much. I come across as a lot scarier, a lot more intense, but also you can't read people in the same way. You can't just smile at somebody in the street who's looking at you slightly odd because they can't quite read you. So normally I just offer them a a huge grin and laugh and they kind of relax. With a mask on, you can't quite do that. So it leaves you feeling a bit more vulnerable when you go out. It leaves you feeling a bit more awkward because you can't read people's reactions to you in quite the same way because half their face is missing. And even just going to the shops is a stressful moment. Just going to buy milk is a stressful fucking moment.
0: So the TLDR of it is that we're probably going to move this to two weeks, which is not going to be a surprise for those of you listen regularly, because it already has uh, effectively been moved to two weeks for now. We will keep you updated. The reason we're doing that is for sustainability, specifically our own. And the primary reason is for us reacting to a challenging situation where we're both queer content creator. we're hey, content creators i
1: hate that phrase we're both queer creators content creators go on let us be content creators what is
0: content jay what is it what
1: is what is content? it's the stuff that people can read it's the stuff that all of these podcasts which wouldn't exist all these podcasting platforms that wouldn't exist without the free labor of people like you and me creating the content that they can then publish and advertise to and shell out. But because ours is explicit and I haven't clicked on the yes, allow advertising, we actually have no advertising. So we're probably one of the few podcasts that still exist that is basically going to forever be free because who the fuck would advertise on something like this?
0: To which I lay a challenge to our listeners. (laughs) Anybody who's willing and interested in sponsoring us, you're very welcome. We would love to advertise your queer friendly creative projects here honestly you probably wouldn't have to give us money. because
1: <laughs> if it's awesome enough we will do it advertising would be complicated if we ever did it this is why we have a patreon instead
0: this is why we have a patreon now dear patrons we are so grateful for you being there anybody who's interested in joining us it's patreon.com slash it is complicated or one word You're very welcome to to come join us. We use the money to pay for people who we would like to interview. But of course, one of my concerns has been for those people, especially that when we have not been able to produce a podcast every week, that they might feel like they're getting less for their money. I hope you don't feel that way, but I would understand if you did. So if you no longer feel like you can support us, please do not feel bad at all um, by stepping away. If for any reason whether it's just because you don't fancy it or because of the change or because you don't have the money right now. That's also the best reason. Please don't Mm -hmm. give anything that you can't. The money that you do give to us, however, we will be giving to other queer people to bring on to interview, to have conversations with on topics ranging from all things complicated and queer that we can think of. But that's one of the reasons why I've been also nervous about Talking about sustainability and change. It's because I don't want to.
1: You don't want to disappoint people. To
0: disappoint, yeah, and to disappoint them. Also, people who are paying for it. It comes back into when we discuss things like sustainability, about how do you value yourself as a person? How do -hmm. you value what you can create and do? Um, How do other people value that? And how can we deconstruct our notions of what is proper, valuable, sustainable? and that's what we've been talking about today in a way. I know there's a lot more that we go into in this topic, and perhaps we will on another occasion. And unless Jay has something more specific to say on this, I would segue us very gently into discussing something else. Would, would you be up for a, a a brief segue, Jay?
1: I think I'd be up for a brief segue because this topic, it's full of lots of gray areas and what one might even call beige and slightly grubby areas there is not a hard and fast this is good this is bad style thing which possibly segues us into the delight <laughs> the the direness the terribleness the campness the oh my god did they even read the fucking comic when they made this ness of constantine the movie
0: i think jane in your mind that, <laughs> that was a- <laughs> Um, Jay I know you know how breathtaking Keanu Reeves is Yes And and I know that Jay knows this so much That Jay is on a mission A quest if you will To watch every single Cinematic representation Within which Keanu Reeves happened to Exist in And this week Jay watched Constantine the movie Now Jay has feelings about this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that Jay expressed to me uh, so much so that I believe that we need to take a proportion of the episode. Now we normally dear listener reserve a couple of minutes at the end of the episode to remark on why we think Keanu Reeves is breathtaking and make a humorous aside to that effect. On this occasion, Jay and I felt that perhaps we all deserved a little bit longer, a little bit more time to ruminate, to, um, to enjoy. Um, <laughs> endure. I was going to say to you know, savor the concept as well as the particular example. This week's episode of Jay's quest in finding out how uh, breathtaking Carrie's is. So, Jay, you watched Constantine. How did you feel about the film?
1: It is nothing like the comic, and I am a big fan of the comic. How's that for a show? That was succinct
0: and and uncomfortable. That was succinct.
1: Well, One of the reasons that I'm a big fan of the comic is that the way that it's written, the Hellblazer with John Constantine and, and the different ways that John Constantine has appeared all throughout the kind of Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Jamie Delano versions of the comics universe, and he has changed whenever he has appeared, has been because he's not definitively good or definitively bad. He is constantly existing in this gray area, but also the way that he's written, the notions that he's written with, the notions that the stories that are about him explore are often deeply political. They make commentary about the social status that we lived in at the time, that we live in now, that existed in the past, the way that those things move. He's very much not just a conduit for Some really good storytellers. He is also, some very good stories get told about him. And he's not quite got the cunningness. He's not a low-key mischievous style character. He is somebody who is resourceful, who is cunning, who is able to figure out these puzzles very, very clearly. None of that was in the fucking movie, was it? So...
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, for those of you who don't know who John Constantine is or what the film is about, the short of it is, is that John Constantine, and, and this is the thing with comic this is the thing with comics but any book, you know, I feel like I'm doing it a disservice, but John Constantine is something of a grizzled, originally anyway, a grizzled British blonde detective. Working in class. Yeah, working in London to solve. I don't
1: know. Things that happen that are involved with demons and angels, kind of, but also people's history, supernatural things.
0: Yeah. And so the thing is that in in those stories, the nature of those things are a bit more um, nebulous. The rules are somewhat malleable and the notion of good and evil, most especially, are very, very complicated and not simple and structured in a very, very binary way. In Constantine the movie, on the other hand, <laughs> good and evil are most certainly set in a binary way, and it is set in a binary way in the sense of Catholic Christianity being literally true, and Constantine being American, br- uh, brunette,
1: Keanu a Reeves. bit of a surfer, Keanu Reeves at his best dude moments at times as well
0: now interestingly enough I think Constantine is worth watching for Keanu Reeves's breathtaking performances. as Constantine it's also worth watching for Tilda Swinton's breathtaking performance as Gabriel mm-hmm. um especially but that film contains some of the absolute worst depictions of what is supposedly good and evil in a way that i find painfully annoying (laughs) and deeply troubling on occasions and i know it's a silly movie but it's a way of depicting moral philosophy and not interrogating it in media and art that i find really really frustrating and annoying when i see it and it's this basically like the the story uh, revolves around the notions that there is a a, a definite good and a definite evil. And if you commit sins, you go to hell in this version of of Constantine. And hell is run by the devil, Satan, who is unreservedly evil. And that is just reality. And that form of binary Christian good evil, just, just from my own background in moral philosophy and social philosophy and any kind of like study of consciousness i had a wonderful conversation with my friend sarah recently about the study of consciousness being perhaps the most important form of academia this binary notion of good and evil especially in depicted in certain forms of art is really frustrating so constantine as a movie makes recognizing keanu reeves breathtaking qualities particularly difficult but it's helped by the fact that it's keanu reeves and also tilda swinton
1: I propose the theory that it's even in the way that he's dressed makes the difference between the two Constantines. So John Constantine in the comics is very disheveled, is very working class. He drinks beer in the pub. His tie is always askew. He's dressed in greys and blues and browns and always just kind of looks just a little bit like he got out of bed. In the movie Keanu Reeves Constantine is constantly dressed in black and white and always looks at least vaguely put together. And it's like by even just putting him in black and white shows a thoughtfulness about the character that hasn't recognized that it's the beigeness. And don't even get me started on the lung cancer. Don't even get me started on that whole subplot, which is a brilliant plot within the comics and is handled in a kind of beautiful just setting just the shared notion of the game that John Constantine plays is so high risk and he risks everything in this gorgeous moment and it's so turned into something else in Constantine the movie that's I, I almost missed it when it happened because it was so like oh is that what they've done with it oh dear and yet you're set up almost in the same way for this beautiful piece but they just God, did the writers actually read the comic? Did they have any sense of what was going on? And this is why I totally am with Alan Moore on, if you adapt my comics, I will withdraw my name from it. And, you know, fuck money, I don't care. You're, you're totally bastardizing all of the characters that I create. I'm kind of with Alan Moore on that.
0: So there's several topics here, dear listener, that are complicated. <laughs> one is adaptation, <laughs> certainly of Alan Moore's work. One can question whether or not there is a good adaptation of Alan Moore's work. I think that would be an interesting conversation. It might be a different podcast, but it'd be an interesting (laughs) conversation and get very specific. In this case, the reason why we sort of made it a part two to this episode was because we weren't entirely sure where we stood with this because, well, I think we do understand and maybe it's very uncomplicated, but it's this notion of, you know, the ways in which cultures talk about good and evil. And my problem with the notion that, I guess like any human being, who has any level of consciousness has asked themselves the question of whether there is such a thing as good or evil in the world. I, as a child, definitely grew up with this notion that there was a good and evil and it was prescribed and written down in some books by some people or known by certain people and told to all the rest. And that's the kind of notion of good and evil that I find almost always is very, very easy to critique. And the ways in which it's described in art is often a reflection of the culture that produced it. And it's these morality tales, of course, or the ways in which it describes certain experiences and what is considered good and what is considered bad. And so for a little while, I wanted to reject the notion that there was such a thing as good and evil, honestly, because I was like, well, most of my experience was that even people who I would have considered horrible generally didn't think of themselves as the villains of their own story they almost always had a reason for why they were behaving the way they were and that's when social psychology entered my life and I started to interrogate why people did bad things and as I've gotten older maybe because I've gotten lazier (laughs) or maybe as I've gotten older and I've experienced certain things I started to come around to the notion that yeah maybe there is evil in the world maybe there are evil acts probably not evil people but definitely evil acts maybe there are some people who are evil we could probably throw a few people into that category that have committed so many egregious acts against other human beings that perhaps we could consider them evil but there are certain evil things evil evil ideas evil concepts evil evil actions
1: evil systems as well
0: systems yes things that create more evil i'm very interested in the discussions of the banality of evil because i think that perspective on the ways in which people can do terrible things to each other in a systematic way is really accurate and really true. And actually some of the worst evil in the world is created by people simply enacting systems that were handed down to them. And they think is normal. And they think it's perfectly reasonable because everybody else is doing it. And that's the kind of evil that I think is interrogated by the literary versions of Constantine, this character. I happen to adore Neil Gaiman stories, and he's one of the writers that he's engaged with. Alan Moore, we've mentioned already as well. One of the reasons I like those art, writers specifically is because they often interrogate the notions of good and evil that way, in the sense of like the groups that purport to be good and evil tend to always be misnomers, <laughs> right, for themselves at least. There's some complication there. But they never shy away from the notion that there are evil things and good things that one could do even from the perspective of the individual or even of the perspective of the world we live in that there are great evils in the world that we can define and that we can do things about that's why i liked it so when jay Cameron told me about Constantine the movie i must admit that movie is deeply deeply flawed but it is definitely an interesting spark to the conversation
1: You get into the notions of the banality of evil. I start to get into the notions of redemption and forgiveness as well. If you commit an evil act, if you're brought up in in an evil system, are you forever branded with that or can you change? And how much change undoes what you did? How much do you have to do to undo what you did? And how much can you do to undo what your parents did, what the systems that bore you did and this? It came up in this documentary that I watched about the accountant of Auschwitz and the grandson of Rudolf Hess was talking about how he didn't want to deny anything that his grandfather had done at Auschwitz because to do so fed into the Holocaust deniers and he wanted to ensure that not only was those actions and was that system remembered, its evilness was remembered, its badness was remembered, and he could do something good with his life and with what he had and with the knowledge and everything that he had, not to negate what was done, but to make reparations for, to overcome what was done and to use what was done in a way that allowed people to remember and memorialise in a sensible and sane way that did not allow the Holocaust deniers any voice. And that was really, really fascinating to watch him talk and to go through that, and it brought up a whole pile of notions of what is forgiveness? Where do you draw the line? And this is why the whole good and evil is black and white just frustrates me because it doesn't allow for growth, it doesn't allow for people to move, but it also doesn't allow for people to say, I grew up in this shitty system and let's make a change to it and let's understand what happened. And it's with making money from slavery, with with understanding where their money came from and saying, how do we change this? How do we make places better? How do we understand the advantage that we were given and create a more equitable society from this advantage? And that's just me having going off on a side rant that's possibly more than the notions of good and evil.
0: No, I don't think that's a tangent at all. I think that's the actual point of it. I mean, we're all bought into, (laughs) we all exist in systems that are unequal, right? Like, I was born into a racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic society, like most people that I know were. Mm. I don't think there's anywhere that doesn't have that kind of sense of inequality. I have been indoctrinated in that with lots of little messages over and over again. You know, we're born into societies that are unequal, that we are then impacted by causes us to enact and reenact those systems in lots of tiny little ways.
1: It's the normality of it.
0: Yeah. Well, we're born into a society that has this as the norm, right? So what is a good act then? A good act would be to go against that or to try to change that or affect it with the resources that you have in a sustainable way. This ties it
1: all back around to the start of the conversation.
0: And... (sighs) It's it's also about how you value that. You were talking about like how does one count? When is enough enough? How does one count? It's like by using your resources in a sustainable way in order to affect change. That's enough. That's important. It's critical, in fact. And so, yeah. So Constantine is a terrible movie. <laughs>
1: But Keanu it Reeves added a great it. conversation.
0: Well, it also has Keanu Reeves in it, who is breathtaking. And he who is, is rather, breathtaking good. He rather good in it. I mean, don't get me wrong, his Constantine is an interesting character. Were he in a completely different movie with a completely different <laughs> script with a completely different set of sensibilities? And oh, no. definitely a completely different approach to good and evil, for sure.
1: See, I reached the point, I think, after the first hour of saying, this is a movie that somehow happens to randomly share the same name as this comic book series that I love. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us, lovely person. It is lovely to have you with us. And it is very kind that you continue to listen and support us.
0: And we look forward to joining with you. Fuck I'm out Next it. time.
1: We'll catch you next time. Next time there will be a thing and you will listen to us, talk to you and engage you in our conversation. that
0: that that is a good summary of what a podcast is yes we will do that next time thank you for listening thank you for joining us (laughs) bye